If you don't know this, if you're brand new, you are right now in multiple locations at the same time. Huh? Okay, so here's, here's the deal. I want to say hi to all the fellows at RCMU, uh, to the folks at East. If you don't know this, this, this week we were able to have a worship night at East that was awesome, and, and at West, and it's, it, we're, we're one church, multiple locations at the same time. If that weirds you out, uh, I understand that completely, uh, but it's imperative that we help as many people as possible know who Jesus is. So that's why if you've never been to East, you ought to try it. Um, if you've never been to RCMU, you shouldn't try it. The fellows understand that. Uh, and uh, I'm, they're great guys, but they don't, they don't want, want that. So we have been as a collective group, all locations, talking about fear. If you're wondering, so how, why, does a, why does a church do a series called The F Word? Because that appears to not be um, ideal and good and, and healthy. Uh, so here's what I know is, yes, I understand that. We're playing off a word, fear. Uh, my guess is you have a fear. My guess is you've got something in your life where you well, are wrestling with. This is the season for fear, yay. Uh, I don't know if you like horror flicks. I do. My wife does not. So I do not watch them. That's how that works. Uh, what I know is, is, is fear is, is pretty predominant throughout society. Uh, one in particular I thought was interesting I want to share it with you. Parenting uh, is, well, frankly weird, but there is an old style of parenting, not necessarily super old, but called the helicopter parent. Most of you have probably heard about that idea. Some of you make fun of those kinds of parents. Uh, the helicopter idea is when you as a parent, you, you hover over your kids constantly. Uh, there used to be, I know this will shock you, where you would take your kid to practice and you would leave practice with your kid still at practice. And you might go run errands or go breathe or go do a mixture of different things. And I know most of us, you may, especially for those of you who are in the seasoned generation, you might say, yeah, it's horrible. Some of you haven't parented yet, but you've, you've had a helicopter significant other who just hovers nonstop over you, constantly won't leave you alone, is afraid that something's going to happen, so if they could just be there, they think it's better. Well, just so you know, the good news is parenting has gotten worse. <laughs> there is a new term, a new term called lawnmower parents. And this is real. If you're like, are you making, no, I'm not making this up. Lawnmower parents. Here's, here's what it is. It's the parent who's like, I'm not only going to like hover around, I'm going to get in front of my kid and I'm going to mow down any kind of obstacle that they could ever encounter so that they don't encounter an obstacle. That's the new kind of parenting. Pray for the next generation. <laughs> um, we've seen this coming. 
if you wonder why I bring it up, I, I think the root of it is fear. I think we're afraid our kids are going to fail. I think we're afraid that they're going to mess up bad enough, that they're going to be hurt bad enough, that that's going to become a trend in their life and they're going to fail always. So we as parents, I think as good-hearted parents, have decided, well, in order to keep my kid on their feet and to give them the best options in future life is to knock down all the things. It's why whenever Katie and I go to a parent-teacher conference, and that teacher might have something not super positive to say, I watch their body language. You can tell that they don't want to say it, and they're actually anticipating a negative response from me as a parent. In other words, they're expecting me to blame it on the teacher. It's sad. If you're a teacher, you're like, preach it, (laughs) right? Parents have begun to create a system that their kids have the illusion of not failing. It's why when your kid starts off playing soccer or baseball or whatever sport, we don't keep score, even though they're keeping score. And at the end of the season, you're the worst team ever, but you still get a trophy. You're like, hey, you're miserable. You win. It's it's funny to talk about. But I think there are ramifications. We are educating our kids with this, that failure is so bad, we're going to deny that it happens. And you know what happens when you live in a culture that denies that failure even happened? A fear of it begins to grow and grow and grow. And if you as an adult are not experiencing it, I can tell you that your young child and even teenager is wrestling with, what if I mess up? I can't mess up. It's going to go public. It's going to go on the internet. It's going to go around school real fast. Oh, no. And we have created and generated an absolute, utter fear of messing up. It's even gone a little bit into people are delaying even getting married because they're afraid that they're going to end up how their parents ended up, broken up, divisive, and, and all messed up, so they don't even get married. I'm telling you, you've seen this. I see by your faces, you're like, I've seen this. I'm telling you, this fear of failure, this fear of failure has us jacked up. So we got to talk about it. What happens? What happens if we fail? Well, we, we typically have general responses. Here, here's, here's one of them. We attempt to control more. I think this is, this is the lawnmower parent. It's like, well, yeah, I messed up when I was a kid, or I, I, I saw how they felt when they didn't get this or that, and so, so we control more. We, we, we say, well, then this won't be a part of their life, and, and we won't keep this, and we won't do that. And, we'll make sh- and they, we think that by removing and controlling and all of us know that, is it, is it not one of the most mean things you could ever do to someone to control them? Yet we think it's good parenting and it's not. And I know some of us right now, we're, but, I, David, but, but David, when I do it, I do it best. You know what? You might be right. But then the people around you won't have the chance to learn. There's another one that I think is a bit more uh, toxic. We stop attempting anything. There's this idea that, well, okay, uh, if failure is so bad, culture's teaching me that I can't fail. I mean, we watch it all the time. A person fails one time, they lose their job, they lose their marriage, they lose everything. We've seen this, right? You get kicked out of school, you lose it. So we just stop. 
We literally say, okay, okay, failure is not worth it. The consequences of, of this is not, so, so I'm not going to try anything. I wonder, I wonder how many of us have given up on dreams. Perhaps you've so for, forgot them that you don't even remember that there was a day you used to say, well, I want to do this someday in my life, and I wish I could play this out, and I wish I could start this and help that person. And failure has a tendency to lie to us and say, no, 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 no. You can't do that, so don't do it at all. People are going to say this. You're going to lose that. I don't know how honest you'll be. So I'll be honest on our behalf. Every day, you and I have to decide how afraid of failure are we going to be that day. And the reality is, you want the bad news? All of us are going to fail. We preach nothing but positive things here. That's it. <laughs> For those of you who are mature enough, you get this, right? We're all going to fail at something. And many of us have a list that we just, we stop keeping track. We fail. In fact, I thought I'd give you two examples because there's two, there's two incredible examples that, that are, are riddled with failure. One is uh, Judas. <laughs> Judas is a, a bad person, Right? Judas, in the Bible, most of us are familiar with Judas. Judas was connected to Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He was one of the 12. He was, he was actually not just one of the 12. He was the treasurer. Anyone you trust with money, that's a big deal, right? And I don't know what you think about Judas. My, my guess is, is that he's not popular. If you've ever heard of uh, the slang dictionary, probably not. I have. I love going there. I'm not endorsing it, by the way, because I've not fully tested it, but... Uh, there's something called the slang dictionary, and did you know in the slang dictionary the word Judas is in there? I'll, I'll show you. This is, this is the slang dictionary. It means to betray. That's how bad Judas is. Man, he went straight Judas on you. I thought about saying it differently, but just, let's just keep going. Uh, you want to know how bad this is? I mean, just put your name in there for a second. Just flirt with this for a little bit. Be like, Man, he went straight David on you. No one wants that said about them right? Judas is, Judas is bad. I'm not trying to be mean, but we would agree that he did bad things. He failed. If you aren't familiar with Judas, let me, let me give you just a brief synopsis. He was a follower of Jesus, one of the 12, very close to him. And I would argue this is that there was this time in his life he loved Jesus, followed him. But something began to change in his heart. I would call it in general selfishness. He began to crave some things his own way. We know, according to the Bible, that he actually started to take some money out of the treasury box. He began to chastise even Jesus at sometimes, disagreeing with Jesus and things were not going well. And eventually led, Judas found himself at this moment where he had decided that he was a follower of Jesus, but now he was going to do something different. He was going to completely sell him out. That's why you and I typically, when we talk about Judas, Judas is not good. Let, let me show you, just I don't want you to take it my words. Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted, of course, and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Most of us know the story that you then find later on Jesus and his disciples in a garden. And soldiers 
and Judas and religious leaders show up. Here's where it says this in the Bible. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached led by Judas. One of the 12 disciples, Judas, walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then that began to walk the moments of crucifixion out. My guess is you've been betrayed before. And if you haven't, what a blessing. Because if you've ever been betrayed, it is one of the most painful things you will ever experience in your life. And I know most of us know the whole story, so we have a, we have a tendency to minimize a little bit. We minimize this, this, what just happened, but it was a horrible failure. Can we admit that what Judas just did was an epic, horrible failure? He just betrayed Jesus. And that's why you and I don't favor Judas. Major failure. There's another failure. His name's Peter. He's a bit more popular with folks Peter, in fact, Peter was a very close disciple, one of the three closest of the disciples. Peter loved Jesus and bragged about, I don't know if you have someone in your life who just brags about how much they love you. Peter was one of those people who were like, you know what, I love you, and I, I just, you're amazing, and I'm all with you. In fact, Peter bragged, let, let me show you his bragging moment, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. You say that to someone's face, you better back it up, Right? Peter didn't. If you've read the Bible much, we are told this, that he promised to Jesus that he would go to prison with Jesus and he would even die with Jesus. He loved him and he would even say he loved him the most. And you don't have to read very far. You only have to go a couple of hours later. I'll just read it to you. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away, took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Wait a minute. This is the dude that just like really, we're not talking months passing by. He had just said to Jesus' face, if you get arrested, I'm going with you. He's already at a distance. It's amazing how fast betrayal unfolds. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down there together, Peter sat down with him. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, with Jesus, but he denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. You catch that. Not just one weak moment, another one, and another one. Transfer this into your own life. What if I approached one of your friends or family members and said, hey, tell me about so-and-so, and they're like, I don't know who they are. And they did it again and again. It would begin to do something to you, perhaps forever in the relationship. I find it fascinating. I find this fascinating. Peter just failed. He just rejected Jesus. He said, I don't know Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. I'm not about Jesus. But then he even threw the other disciples under the bus. Do you understand that? He said, I'm not a disciple. I'm not with them. I'm not about them. I find it fascinating that Judas and Peter both rejected Jesus and failed. Yet we name people and churches after Peter 
And we won't even name our pets after Judas. Just think for a moment why you have put Judas in a worse category than Peter. When I would argue they did the same thing. They betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus, rejected Jesus. And I understand if you're like me at all going, yeah, Judas is horrible. Judas and Peter both failed. So what happened? Why do we favor Peter? I think a popular coach gets at it, John Wooden. Failure isn't fatal, but failure to change might be. And the difference between Peter and Judas has everything to do with their response. It has everything to do with what they did with, I have failed, this is horrible, this is not going well, I shouldn't have made this decision. But then they, be, then they, then they diverge. They, you, one goes this way, one goes that way, and they have radically different decisions. In fact, if no one's ever pointed out to you the difference, it's significant. If you want to know already right now, why do I hate Judas and I'm totally cool with Peter? Let me show you. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, felt guilty, and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. But then it got really bad. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. I need you to listen. I think we currently live in a generation now that is doing this more and more and more. That when we screw up, or when someone else around us screws up, we back out of everything. We, in essence, isolate ourselves. We, we retreat out of a fear of failure because that's the setting we created. When failure actually happens and we can't deny it and pretend it away, we isolate. That's exactly what Judas did. Judas ran from everybody. I hope you'll give me your undivided attention and listen, especially if you're a teenager. If your parents divorced, it's not your fault. If someone around you hurt you, it's not your fault. But if you isolate yourself because of it, do you know the devil's going to tell you? It's your fault. Do you know that you are actually, even if you pursue isolation, even if you go after it, you are never actually isolated. And oftentimes when you think you're isolated, that's when the devil's right there whispering in your ear, stupid junk. Don't let your failure lead to isolation. That's what many of us are doing. Because what if someone finds out? What if more people find out? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? You should be more afraid of what is the devil going to tell me when he gets me alone. 
If you want to know why you and I don't like Judas and why he made such a horrific, horrific decision in his life, he isolated himself. He, he rejected all of the disciples, all the people he just spent years with. One more observation about this, and I, failure is only fatal when we choose to quit. That's what he did. He isolated himself, and when you isolate yourself, you find yourself in this moment of quitting. In fact, do you know sometimes it's not the person who failed that quits? Did you know that? Oftentimes it's the people around the person who failed that quit on that person. And if you call yourself a Christian and someone around you fails, don't quit on them. If you're like, I don't know what to say to them, no one knows what to say to them. There are no perfect words. But do you find it fascinating that the church, the capital C church, is called judgmental and hypocritical? And if you wonder, I wonder why. Well, oftentimes it's because when someone fails, we quit them. We leave them. Maybe you've experienced that. Where you thought, oh no, I can't be a part of a church or Christian kind of group because if I mess up, if I screw up, then i got to back out because they're going to want me to back out. Just a word of, I think, wisdom. If someone around you fails, what should you do? Find them. Go after them. Help them get back up. According to the Bible, help them get restored. The Bible says it's like they're a fishing net that is broken, and it's your job, if you're a Christian, to get the fishing net fixed, not to throw it away. Yes, failure has consequences. It does. Failure has consequences. It has moments that oftentimes lead to a, a job loss. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe the person will break up. Uh, maybe you lose money. Maybe whatever, it, a bad grade. There, there's consequences. And I don't think consequences are always bad. I think we live in a culture now It's like, oh, there shouldn't be that many consequences. Failure has consequences. Mm-hmm. And opportunities. And the reason that you and I don't care for Judas, and we don't name our kids or people, we don't look at Judas as the most popular name. Judas rejected what God could do even with that kind of a failure. And most of us are scared to death of the failure while giving no attention to now what do I do in the midst of the failure. And I would tell you this. Based on the tactics of the devil, I think he's more after you doing something bad after the failure than the actual failure. Because the Bible tells us he wants to destroy you. And it's really the failure that destroys you. It's your reaction to the failure. So Peter, the good guy, I guess. (laughs) The guy that we do name kids, or I don't know if you name your dog that. That's up to you. There's churches named after Peter, St. Peter, right? Why? (laughs) Well, I can tell you. 
and it has a lot to do with you, what you and I ought to do to failure. If you are afraid of failure, stop being afraid of failure and start being concerned with, what do I do if I fail? What do I do? What do I do? Well, we can copy Peter. Peter was, uh, I think he was ashamed of what he did. In fact, even though he was a disciple, he's like, all right, I, I screwed up. I, I, and he went off back to fishing. That's what he had done previously. He's like, I'm going to go back to fishing. So he and some other disciples, let me say that again, he and some other disciples, you already catch the difference between what he and Judas, he and some other disciples went fishing, and they were horrible. Didn't catch anything, nothing. The morning started happening, they literally fished all night, they didn't catch anything, morning started happening, and, and about 100 yards away, they could see the shoreline, and there was a guy standing on the shoreline, the guy yells at them, hey, you know, how's it going? They're like, this is miserable. So he's like, hey, throw the net on the other side. They were probably like, well, it's been so bad, I mean, what's the big deal, let's do it. They tossed the net on the other side of the boat, load the net up with fish, and they're like, look at the guy again. Here's what happened. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. I mean, it's it's, it's 100 yards away. Come on. Sometimes our eyesight's not wonderful. But then they recognized it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. Now, some of you are like, yeah, and swam away. Don't forget what's been playing out. Peter, who rejected Jesus, if you don't know the proximity, we believe, based on what the Bible says, that when Peter was denying and rejecting even knowing Jesus, that Jesus was in close enough proximity that he could even see Peter and hear it. And Peter is now aware that the man he followed and promised that he would go to prison for and would die with is now a hundred yards away. And I don't know what your reaction is to God when you fail. Many of us are like, we go the other direction. We feel shame and we just bow. No, no, no. Peter jumps out of the boat. Some of us are smart enough to know like, you know what? I think you actually would have made better time if you just stayed in the boat and rowed. Anyone thinking that? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Like, dude, stay in the boat, bro. Get the. But do you see? Do you see how, how powerful, yet how different Judas and Peter are? Be mature enough to personalize this. Our response to failure should be to get to Jesus, not to go away from Jesus, not to run from from being in the presence of Jesus. But if you're anything like me, when you do something you should not do, you wonder, does he like me anymore? Am I, can I talk to him today? Is it hypocritical if I even engage God right now because of he knows what I did? And I would tell you, whenever you fail, whenever you fail, get yourself out of the boat and go to him. See, Peter did this. In fact, if you walk out history even more, we find ourselves, Peter going from, uh, from rejecting even knowing Jesus to preaching about Jesus, trying to help others know who Jesus is. And he preached a sermon that I find fascinating and the words amazing. Peter replied, this is his sermon. Repent and be baptized. 
every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand how significant it is that this guy would preach that word. Don't miss it. Now, I know sometimes we throw it on billboards nowadays to make people feel really guilty, and it's weird. But that's not what it's supposed to be. This guy who was an utter failure says, all right, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. What am I going to start with? My story. Repent. Repent means to live differently. Oftentimes we think repent or if we ever use the word, we think, oh, it means I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Repent is, is different than I'm sorry. See, see, I would tell you Judas felt guilty. I, the Bible even said it. He, he, he was filled with remorse, right? There, there's this, I feel guilty. I feel bad. If you've ever been in the principal's office, you know, I feel bad. I don't want to be here. If you've ever made even a bigger choice that was worse, a, a bigger failure, there's the moment when you begin to lose things and people that you're like, I feel bad. I feel guilty. Peter and Judas, both felt guilty. But feeling guilty doesn't help you overcome failure. Repenting helps you overcome failure. And I know this firsthand. If you've been a part of our church long enough, you know that I have uh, frequently told you a story about myself that oozes oozes failure. And for the sake of those who have not heard it, I thought it would be pertinent to share a little bit about it. When I graduated college and was given permission and the credentials and whatever to be a pastor, I went off to be a youth pastor in Manhattan, Kansas. At that church that I was a youth pastor at, I met my wife, Katie. She obviously was overcome with just like, wow, he's amazing. Uh, it, was, it was just real... <laughs> No, no. Uh, we fell in love. And if you've ever fallen in love, you know how that plays out. Everything else around your life just is on mute. And you're just focused on that person. Katie and I began to date. And uh, Katie and I both believed that the best, healthiest romantic relationship is a relationship that waits to be sexually intimate until you're married. We both believed that. We just didn't live by it. And I remember when we were still dating, the news that she gave me, she said, we're going we're gonna to have a kid. And when you're a pastor and you're not married, even though we were in love, that's still not acceptable. It still compromised our character, what we had promised. And, and I betrayed the teenagers that I taught that you should live in purity. The, the parents who trusted me, the people of the church who trusted me, my boss. I betrayed a lot of people and found myself taking my credentials that I told you about, sliding them over on the table and giving them to our denomination because I was no longer even allowed to lead a Bible study. I was jobless and hopeless and I was a failure. I remember that. I remember being afraid to even go to the grocery store because what if, what if one of the students in my youth group was bagging the groceries? Katie and I used to talk about and, and trade off who was going to go to the grocery store. 
We were ashamed. And I remember at one moment, it was an evening, I'll never forget this, I can picture it right now, being in our house, and I emotionally gave up. The idea of God using a pastor who had betrayed so many people, no way. No way can he use me anymore. The failure is permanent. The failure is fatal. No longer. I, 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 this is, there's no hope in this. I, and I remember on the verge of going to Katie to say, I give up on the dream of ever, ever, ever being a pastor again. And I got a phone call. No joke, it happened that quick. I can tell you that the guy calling me was a friend, but that even is bigger. Uh, he and I, we knew each other. He was a part of the church that we were a part of, and, but we didn't know each other well. We didn't hang out a bunch. I think I had spent one, one or two times us hanging out. And he called. He's like, hey, I'm on the phone going, why are you calling? He says, I feel like God wanted me to call you tonight. All right. He says, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. God wants you to stop living in your shame. You're not a failure anymore. And I was like, whoa. Now, I don't have moments like that every single day. I wish I did, frankly. Don't you wish you had a phone call every day? Just like, hey, here's what you kind of need to do today. If you're like, how many times is it? I believe that's the only phone call I've ever gotten. But he began to tell me, he's like, David, I know. I know you have repented of what you've done. You are living differently than you used to live. Stop living in your shame. I said, okay. And I walked out the process of a restoration team helping me actually say sorry to people that I needed to say sorry to, but you can't say sorry if you haven't repented and help walk me to where I was able to get restored. And then there was this crazy group of people up north and South Dakota who were like, yeah, we'll talk to you. And here's what I've learned personally. Restoration begins with repenting. If, you, if you're wondering what to do with your failure, if you're like, what do I do when I fail, or what do I do with the failure that I've got staring at me every day where I live in shame? What do I do with it? Starts with repenting. It starts with not only feeling guilty about it, but saying, I'm going to live differently. Some of you didn't parent the way you now know you should have parented. So you live in shame. And you're like, my kids are out of the house now. How do I respond to this? You live differently now. You treat people differently now. Some of us are living in the shame of the decisions that we've made in the past or currently are right now. You're like, what do I do with this? You repent. That's where you start. Second Corinthians, godly sorrow. Not immature sorrow. You catch that? Not like, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> that we've all been there. Godly sorrow brings repentance. 
that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. I can go back and I have been back to the very church where I was youth pastor and I betrayed many. I regularly text and talk with some of the students from my youth group. I have no regret anymore. But you can't get there if you keep denying you failed. Worldly sorrow, though, brings death. Which one do you want? A life of no regret? It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, but what are you going to do with your mistakes? It's time. It's time that we start acknowledging when we fail. It is a lie. It is a lie that denying your failure actually keeps your failure away. So here's what I want to do. Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I don't know what choices and, and directions you've taken in your life. I have no idea. But I know that right now you have the opportunity to walk away from shame and regret and walk toward a life of salvation. If you're willing, I think right now is a great time to just privately repent to God if you have something to repent. And perhaps your repentance is more about how you quit on someone who failed. But I'm just gonna give you a moment, let you talk to God. head still bowed and your eyes closed, if you have never repented to God about your sins and you'd like to, let me help you have that conversation just privately, something like this, say this, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. God, I'm going to live differently. I surrender to you. I need you to do so. God, would you give me strength and power to live differently? Would you fill me with your spirit, washing me white as snow? God, I hand you my life. Restore me. Remove my shame. Thank you for your love, Lord. God, I pray for us as a church. We need your help. God, I think we need to be, and I think you think this as well, we need to be a place where people are restored. God, we need to be a group of people that if, if any of us fail, that we pick each other up. If anyone outside of our church fails, that we need to be a safe place, God, for them to be picked up. God, would you help us be that church? An environment where people are mended, healed, restored, 
So Lord, I pray for the folks in this entire region who would call themselves failures. Would you draw them to this church, God, so we can show them who you are? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.